0: Welcome to Episode 8 of The Inside Swoop, uh, a semi-regular Collingwood podcast uh, What well, that was once regular, but uh, of course we're all aware of the, uh, the invention of uh, COVID-19, which has uh, played havoc with our ability to get this wonderful podcast out to you all. But um, uh, my name is Stephen Riley, and, and uh, I'm joined each and every podcast uh, inside Swoop episode by Marcus Wagner.
1: Now, note the pr- note the pronunciation this week. <laughs> Magnificent, S. Yes. And it's uh, actually very nice to be in the same room as you for the first time in a long time to do the pod um, up here in sunny Twin Waters in the beautiful Sunshine Coast. Um, it's great, great to be face to face, roles not via Zoom, which is. Uh, much better experience for both of us. Yes, yes. Well, to give people
0: some idea of what it's, uh, we're in a, we're in a sort of a meeting room, which is in fact the match committee room. Uh, it's, it's doubling as the match committee room for the coaching staff and uh, and whatnot when when they're selecting the team. But on my way walking here uh, from where I'm living on the on the estate to to this room, I encounter two kangaroos, one with a joey um, right on the footpath. Um, just nibbling away at some plants on the side of the path and um, uh, incredibly tame and, and uh, it's a delight to see it on the way to work. Um, this is uh, uh, Tuesday the, what is it, the 24th, I believe. 25th. 25th, my apologies. Tuesday the 25th, day after uh, Collingwood defeated North Melbourne at the Gabba last night. And um, uh, so with that in mind, um, we're playing, uh, that was our second game uh, at the Gabba, uh, uh, third, sorry, at the Gabba, um, but second in a row, second of six straight that we've got to close out the home and away season. And uh, I can see that being a, uh, an advantage, Wags, in that finals are highly likely, almost certain to be played at the Gabba and Metricon,
1: and it's going to feel like a home away from home for us. Absolutely, yes, and it's a it's a unique ground in itself. The Gabba, it's, it's a big circle, but it's quite short. So big, wide wings, but quite a short ground. So it lends itself to a, a bit of a tactical battle. That it takes a bit of getting used to. Obviously, the Lions make it their home, and they they've obviously got their game plan down pat for the Gabba. But being so short and having so much space out wide, it, it lends itself to to being a really strong centre bounce scoring ground so you can get momentum really quick at the Gabba um, but also lends you to other mo- modes of scoring uh, particularly from the back half because it's so short and wide you can find a lot of space uh, and that's what we explored a bit more last night versus North and I know it wasn't pretty uh, uh, at some stages uh, mainly with our execution but you could see how much space was being generated by our, by our offense and um, we felt we really got our ball movement going going last night and it started to show in the second half. So it's taken a while for us to get the feel of the Gabba. Um, Last night we didn't score from stoppage or centre bounce much, but we did score from turnover from the back half, which um, is a bit different for us. We're a front half team, but adding that feather, we can launch off the back half, particularly the Gabba. You you get forward quick. There's a lot of space and and we saw some of our players like uh, Hoskin Elliott, um, Billy Elliott, get get on the end of a few more because we were – I guess, utilising that space a hell of a lot better. Mm. Um, but it's fantastic being able to bed down our, um, our run home at the Gabba. Uh, we'll just get more and more used to the, uh, to the ground itself. Um, we think it suits us versus the opposition we're, we're playing against. And, um, yeah, hopefully we, we get a bit of momentum. I think uh, the boys looked a lot fresher uh, last night. The, the four games in, in 13 or 14 days was, was taxing. Uh, we lost players in that in that period, particularly in games, so we weren't able to manage our players throughout the game, so that added an extra workload. And we were just a little bit flat against Melbourne, but the real test was gonna be the next, I guess, fortnight um, one down versus North last night, and monster game in Carlton. It's probably, probably the biggest or most important Collingwood-Carlton game there's been in a long time, mm. really, with, with the importance of it, the old-fashioned eight-pointer. And they're in really good form. They, they obviously had that really good win against Fremantle after the siren, but looked really strong against the Gold Coast. Um, Going to be a massive challenge. There they've got their tails up. So yeah, the old old uh, old rivalry will kick in mm. for sure. Rolls and I think one thing I've noticed is there are a lot of expat Victorians up on up on the coast and up on um, up in southeast Queensland. So I reckon I'm not sure what the go is with uh, capacity, but I reckon they'll. They'll get a fair decent crowd there on Sunday and mm. make a great atmosphere. And it's yeah, it's, a, it's an early final really for both teams. First time in a long, long time that both teams have
0: been in some sort of contention for finals when they meet. You know that, that just hasn't been the case for a long time. we been a reasonably solid team. Obviously, one like flag and ten had a couple of cracks at it since, but they haven't really been in the frame since you know 20 years. Yeah. So it it, it does um does add something to the contest. Um, yeah, I think it'll be. Um, uh, you're right, we've got a tremendous following. For those who are unaware, that, uh, this is a bit of social history here. My understanding is that in the 70s, as the Queensland opened up this of building boom here, a lot of tradies from Victoria um, and people looking for even unskilled work um, found regular employment up here in the southeast. Um, and uh, that, that's that's the Collingwood demographic. You know, a lot of a lot of traders come up, moved up, brought their affiliation and their passion for Collingwood with them. So, um, so hence there's a general love of the game up in, in South East Queensland. You know, they, they there are a lot of people, um, unlike perhaps other parts of the state, who really love it. They've grown up with it, and their sons and daughters grow up loving the game as well. Um, but um, I, I recall. Uh, I think it was three years ago. Dane Beams was still playing for Brisbane at the time, and we came up. They were going, to, you know, they'd recruited Beamsy, and uh, and we marched up there, and I uh, think we put eight or nine on goals on in the first quarter, and it was a pack gather. Um, I think it was one of the first Thursday night pre pre uh, Easter one the yeah. Easter matches. I think it was around. I think it was opening round, and we. We banged on 89 in the first quarter and it was over. And by halfway through the second quarter, the chant of Collingwood was echoing around the stadium. It was booming. And it, I felt like it was our stadium, but we were playing 2,000 kilometres away in Brisbane. And it was almost, I felt so, I'm sorry for Brisbane to think that on your own deck, you're outnumbered by Collingwood fans who are going nuts. And uh, so there's a, there is a passionate passionate and, and, and large support base up here for Collingwood and, and, and
1: AFL football generally, So The Gabber is a, a noisy venue too. But mm. the, the stands are right on top of you. So if and when they announce that is going to host the grand final, whilst the crowd won't be massive, it'll be a noisy crowd. I know that. I was I was at the Giants-Brisbane final, like enough the semi last year, and that was electric head. Game as I've seen, it was when we then just kicked the goal to seal it late, and it was um, a remarkable atmosphere. So they'll they'll get a good atmosphere at the at the ground, and the whole the whole experience is still weird. Roles, I think it's even just looking at how we how we get to the game. We've got a got a raft of minibuses that drive the staff down, and we've got our own little crews now in those buses that we've got different tasks for different people. I know Chris Dixon, our player engagement manager, he's he's DJ extraordinaire for after the game, so. He got us up and about after the uh, after the we're bit all a bit flat after the Melbourne game, um, but then again he was on fire last night with his tracks. He goes uh, night at the Roxbury for the last twenty odd minutes, a real night. He's he's uh, alongs at the end there, um, but it's just uh, the whole thing's still strange. So you drive down there, you park in the in the back car park near the cricket nets. You walk under the stands. There's no one there. Um, we're using different rooms each week. We're using different coaches' boxes. There's still barely any crowd there. And then you you pack up at the end of the game, you you load up, you get back in your minivan, there's no, no traffic because you're driving home on Monday night and you get out of Brisbane, this thick fog def- descends on your car and I've got 10 or what is it, 8 or 9 people in the van singing their lungs out, and making raucous and I'm trying to concentrate through this fog and get home at midnight last night. I'm absolutely exhausted because I've tried to keep the van on the road the whole time and I think I was just, Obviously, nailed the playlist because everyone's got gone boss from singing so much, and you wake up this morning and you're in twin waters, and you're <laughs> looking after the kids and doing homeschooling. It's just this strange existence. But um, as I said, we're, we're lucky to be together in the next four because we're getting used to it. But yeah, it's, it's so far from normal. It's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, now, well, speaking of traveling,
0: um, a couple of weeks ago we ventured down to Adelaide, and play the Crows, and as the team bus was uh, tooting along, a familiar figure was on the side of the road with a sign, one Tyson Goldsack with with a sign welcoming back Jerkle and Broomey, Jerkle being Lyndon Dunn. And uh, it, it said a lot about Goldie, um, said a lot about Dunny and Broomey, that has great great affection there for, you know, he was a wonderful clubman, Goldie, apart from being a very good player, he was a um, much-loved figure. But when it, it then led to that the side of Goldie on the side of the road, standing there looking like a, he was he was a homeless man with his daughter uh, and a car puts on. Um, I think most people saw that. But it's uh, it, it going to lead uh, to um, an unearthing of, a secret that in Tyson Goldsack's pre-Collingwood life that no one that I can find knew about. Now, and what I'm talking about is a film, an art house film, uh, about 21 minutes long, shot in 2002. Uh, it, known as "Envy," uh, or uh, pardon my terrible French uh, a, a translation, of "The Desire," and. Um, Shot in black and white uh, in 2002. It premiered in the Berlin Film Festival in 2003. So this is three and four years before Goldie's drafted to Collingwood. Uh, he is the star. Of, he is the central character in this film, a wheelchair-bound boy, adolescent boy, and his mate, um, Josh, who I think in real life was a friend of his at school, uh, um, and their sort of, uh, how would you put it, their, um, their affections. Le désir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for their French teacher at school. Now, Gold, he, he, he's also a cripple, so he's wheelbound bound um, that wheelchair, sorry, and um, it, it's, it, it was uh, the, the, the unearthing of this started with Nick Maxwell being asked a question by a member of Joe Public. Did you know, or well, have you ever heard of this? And, and he said, no, you're kidding. I've oh, no, never heard of it. He asked me the question, did I know that? And I said, no, but a, a bit of a search and up it came. So straight on to Goldie, is this true? Because it, it's a 13-year-old Goldie in the photograph on the, on the, 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 the still from the film. And you would swear it's him, but I'm thinking it's a great lookalike because how else could we not know? Um, I send him a note, this is pre-Melbourne, and is it true that you were a child star in this film? He says, "How did you find this?" <laughs> and I said, "I do that, That's too vague for me. Confirm or deny." And he says, "Confirm." And and so he he, he was. Um, I've since had a look at it, and uh, it's an interesting interesting film.
1: What's uh, it? Was it
0: rated S? Uh, I would probably
1: put it. At, M plus. <laughs> okay, so, so it's, it's a mostly, bit of edge in you
0: know? it. Yeah, a bit of edge. Um, the boys are, let's say, they're, they're reaching that stage where their in women has, has arrived, and um, their French teacher it's, uh, is is someone they're very interested in. And um, but um, it's it sort of also uh, has a has the fact that he's in a wheelchair and he's, his able-bodied mate doesn't, and, and there's aspects of that in it. But it is true. Child, child, film star Tyson Goldsack. But, but more to the point, when when I'm um, asking around, just, no one knew of it, and the like, the likes of Ben Reed, who spent their career with him, were staggered that they'd never found out. They never knew because he would have copped it for sure, it they, and it would have been shown regularly, and it would have been bobbed up in all sorts of team meetings. Um, so that, that was our that was the
1: revelation for the for the for the week, Tyson. Tyson. He's a natural actor. I mean, it all makes sense now because you—you would have been a part of his his acting performances in his latter part of his career. I think my favourite still is Alex Fasolo's hundredth game. Yes, it was. He's one of. I was remembering the team meeting room and I was just genuine gut laughing. We had the Fazzy mask on, going around to everyone. Fazzy boy, Fazzy <laughs> boy. Oh, geez, that was good. Was, he's a natural. He's a charismatic type. The gold sack. Um, there's no doubt. How, how did it actually go? The film film festival. I'm not sure that it
0: won any awards, but but I did look up the director, Sullivan Leonard, who 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 has um, shot a couple of other films, but nothing of late. So I'm not sure where his career. Goldie ended shot. it with a with a well, he, acting performance. Yeah, I was surprised. Goldie was. Uh, I thought he might. You know, he's an aspiring footballer. They're not known for their acting. Well, some are, but but, but most aren't. And I thought. He might have been a little bit wouldn't he? he was surprisingly surprisingly um human and sort of uh, in, in the role so uh that was my I, I was thrilled to find that and and to and to pity him for it and the likes has sort of been written out right right we're gonna i'm gonna ring him and give it to him you
1: know how can we how he you keep his secret from us for all those years well, just, uh just on <laughs> that what he did on that night with Dane donating grooming just Shows his quality. They just gave the boys such a lift driving him in, in the bus. No one else really around because no one's going to the game. Yeah, and there's Goldie. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure he collected a bit of cash that night as well because he had the had the cardboard cut out and whatnot. But no, so he's just a little bit Goldie, and, and yeah, Port, I'm very happy to have him at the moment, and no doubt contributing to what they're doing on the field. Yes, yes.
0: Well, he, he was one part of one half of the, the infamous. Uh, Sidesack and Goldbottom. Yeah, that's what it was. I a mean, duo. Yeah, yeah. Who were uh, great mimics and uh, did a number of great impersonations for Milestone Games. Faz, Alex Vasola being one of them. Uh, Scott Pendlewood yeah, being yeah. another. The Different Pendles pens. one was very, very funny. Yeah. So, um, without going too far, I I'll, 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 I'll want to touch on Goldie a bit later because uh, when we get to the book review, I, I need to bring him back in. But speaking of the interesting things that, that happen up here, uh, training last Saturday, Wags, we roll out to the Bruchy Sports Centre, where we've been doing our full field training, and uh, a number of there it's actually quite a, it's a very good
1: facility. It's magnificent uh, facility. Yeah, it's it's, uh, well, the fact that it's holding up for so many training trainers for, for the audience, there's three AFL standard footy grounds next to each other with a beautiful kind of change room lock area in the middle, and we've got, I guess, full run of it once we book it out, as it's been magic, really. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's yeah. Melbourne, and Kilda and ourselves are there as I understand at the moment, and North were there. North were really? yeah. Yeah, and so it's, um, yeah, the facilities up here for AFL are actually surprisingly good, which yes. is, which says something about the coast development, but that's not the point of the alas, story. Alas, alas. It's, yes. it's also a very, very attractive place for plovers. What's a plover, Ross? Good. Oh, good. What type of bird? Well, I'm, I'm no ornithologist, no, <laughs> so it, 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 you're putting me on the spots. But it's black and white. It
1: kind of looks like a little magpie. Oh, no,
0: let's not go there because we're going we're gonna to say things that we don't have no idea. Okay. About. We're <laughs> going to talk even more nonsense. Yes. But plovers happen to like it as well. Now, St Kilda train on our ground. I like um, how you're calling it our ground. Our That's good. We've taken ownership of it yep. already. It's our ground. On our ground on the Friday <laughs> afternoon. We were due to start training there at 10 o'clock the next morning. Somewhere between the time that St. Kilda finished training and us starting, commencing training, uh, a plover laid an egg and, and stayed with the story. It, it's true. Um, laid an egg on the 50. And defensive 50 or 450? Well, <laughs> as it happened, the defensive <laughs> group was at once. Yes. Yeah, defensive <laughs> 50 on the D50 and... Uh, the curator of the ground had managed to get to the ground a couple of hours earlier and remove the egg. But this didn't mean that the plovers um, flew off to wherever he put the egg. They were protecting the zone on the ground where they thought the egg still was. And so our defensive group go out there onto the ground and all of a sudden they're being attacked, swooped and, and chased by plovers. <laughs> and Wags and I were we happened to be on the boundary watching this. Braden Maynard, as Bucks later said, tough man, he man of the of the defensive fifty. He's running like he's just seen a ghost, and And screaming, (laughs) screaming, (laughs) screaming, (laughs) waving his hands above his head so club doesn't poke his back of his head out. And then he decides to run close to to Geordie Roughhead, so that he can he can be the, the, the the tall bloke who can be the distraction. He runs towards Geordie. Roughhead and dives onto the ground, prone so that the birds won't get in. And <laughs> players were scattering everywhere while these birds they just would not would not give up. It was very, very funny. And so eventually the birds sort of retreated a little, but they kept threatening to you know to, to come back. Braz Bruzzy Maynard in particular was keeping a very keen eye on them. He, he, he was uh his 2020 vision, he had one on the ball and one on the whether the, where the particularly the female plumber, I think it was. So the coach, the senior coach, decides to come down. And uh, he's now Nathan the bird whisperer, at Buckley. He, he, he decides to come down and sort of move, try to move them, corral them on, onto a half-forward flank a vacant half-forward flank, so the boys can do their drills. And uh, the, the, the female, kept jumping up at him as if, come any closer and I'm going to poke your eyes out sort of thing. But he just, he, he spent most of the session, uh, listeners, uh, not watching training, uh, thats that's an injustice, that's not quite true, but <laughs> I, I like saying it anyway, but trying to marshal these birds and get them off the ground, and he stood there for, for 10 or 15 minutes just eyeballing the female because she was the more aggressive, and he slowly moved towards her, and he, he couldn't move too quickly because she would attack, so he just very gently moved towards her and, and edged her out to her, eventually to the forward pocket. They didn't leave. The birds stayed there. They were very territorial clean. But it was one of the highlights of the training session, which was far, had far more energy in it. It, it. it probably was already going to have plenty of energy in it anyway we'd come off a nine-day break. Um, but it sort of said something about our week. We were the boys were training, laughing, feeling good, feeling strong, and you could see the performance
1: the legs they had their legs back. In. Yeah, no, we had a bit bit more energy, that's for sure. I guess that's the, the nature up here. We, we're in danger of wildlife everywhere we look. <laughs> oh, <is> there <laughs> are snakes, ibans. Flovers. Wizards. Bin turkeys, as my kids call them, that are running around here. <laughs> Although they, they kind of just chase the bin, called bin turkeys. So you're getting the fights of their life. But I think, yeah, it was, I mean, I want to touch on the um the practice game squad for a little while because they've been doing a mountain of work, I guess, behind the scenes. It's very much off-Broadway, these um, practice games. Now I know our digital guys do a really good job of covering it um, for our supporters, but... Each week we we try and organise a, a game versus an opposition, usually the team we're playing, or if not, um, someone who's just looking for a game. And lucky enough we got a game against Brisbane on Sunday before our game against North. Uh, again, the bus ride down to, to Brisbane, getting used to that drive. It's a fantastically easy drive with all the tunnels and road works. It's just a it's a pleasure to be driving. Um, but I think it was symbolic of the week how a guy tuned up on to the Brisbane game. They, they got, they got. We got down there. We prepped up like it was an AFL game. Had our Indigenous jerseys on, which looked absolutely fantastic as in Brisbane. So that was a, a really good idea by, by both sides to get, getting our Indigenous kids for, Sir Doug Nicholls round, um, even at that level. But some of the performances down there and the attitude and the and the energy those guys are bringing has been superb. And, and the performance on the weekend against a really really quality uh, Brisbane outfit. We had 20 available. We had about 15 available. So we um, we borrowed two Brisbane players per quarter. And that's the other part of this this practice game model is everyone's just jumping in to, to get the best hit out they can. So we had, we had um, Alan Christensen playing for us for a, for a quarter and Barry and playing for us for a quarter. They're quality AFL players and, and tipping in, you know, mm. taking out their own teammates at times. It was, it was fantastic to watch. But the boys were great. Um, got away with a, a five-point win. Um, which was great, but some really strong performances. I just want to touch on them because they probably don't get the kudos. But Timmy had your boy Riles, um had close to 30 touches again, um, kicked three goals, set up another three. So he's, he's in really good, good nick down there. Obviously, came back for the Adelaide game, which was a great effort to come back from where he's come from, but just as, just his form in the, in the practice game has been exceptional. Rupert Wills, obviously, disappointed in getting dropped, went down and had uh, yeah, mid 20s touches. Truckload of clearances, just a, back to his bull best inside. And um, one that's really coming along is, uh, is Tyler Brown. He was uh, really influential in the first half. He's, his numbers aren't huge, but every time he touches it, he, he creates. He's, um, he's going to be a, a super play for us, Tyler. And again, put his hand up. But the one I want to touch on, I know you he might have mentioned it earlier. potentially rose on, maybe just to me was uh, Big Anton Tohill. Yeah, playing up, playing up forward. Um, we've been. Playing him a bit on the wing, um, threw him a bit, a bit more forward. Given, um, uh, I guess, shortage of tools this week. Given, Checkers and Reedy missed it at senior level, which meant we brought Coxie in, and Apples in. Um, he, he was a ripper. He was—he uh, had so much energy. He was launching at everything. Took took a truckload of marks. Kicked three goals, missed two. Two that he usually buries a beautiful kick at the footy, I just got a fantastic action when he kicked the goal. But kicked three. I think. Uh three quarter time, I think Shannon, Shannon, our footy ops manager and our our reliable COVID compliance officer put it on him to kick one early and within 30 seconds seconds Anton swooped on a ground ball, kicked the snap from about 30 and pursuit to celebrate, gave gave Shannon a big shout out. So um, uh, it was just great, great to see players playing together, playing with energy. Mm. Uh, oh, that's and and having the flexibility to to play how we want to play and in the format we want. That's the beauty of these practice games. I was I guess a bit skeptical about how how it'd be going at this stage of the year, but I think take away the the competition element, which is ladder, whatnot, umpires. I mean, we had Scotty Selwood umpiring on Sunday, and we'll, I was giving more feedback than anyone because he was a bit bit nervous on his whistles. Really, really like, doot, doot, it's like sometimes got to be excited while he's watching a good passenger play and We we'll just blow the whistle in the middle of a transition, all the players <laughs> would stop. So you have these little quirks, but um, the, the games themselves have been fantastic. Great prep for our players across the board and um, I think it's something they should they should look to continue in this new world we're going to be living in in the next couple of years just to, just to I guess make it more efficient they, these practice games have real merit um, sometimes you're, you're going to have small numbers one week but you still want your team playing together and there's nothing wrong with playing 14v14, 14 14. there's nothing wrong with playing 16v16, 16 16. we played 17v17 17 17 on Sunday and it was, that was good in itself because it gave a bit more AFL feel to it and could see Tommy Langdon really, really spiked in his performance based on having, I guess, a bit more structure around the game, and he was able to read cues off more players, uh, having 17 out there as opposed to 14. Um, he's such a smart footballer; he bases it on a more nuance of game than anything. So we could see that coming through with Tommy. Um, but yeah, it's a it's an interesting discussion point well, right that, now. That leads to,
0: that leads us, doesn't it? Not to second tier. The discussion this week, the AFL announced yesterday that their proposal for next year is to create an East Coast uh, competition, second-tier competition, which is a marriage of the VFL uh, and the NEFL. And uh, I think we as a club have reservations about it. I mean, it may have some merit, but we've got some thoughts on it as well, which you're across. Yep. Um, it, there are some... Some, some, I think, Richmond have publicly floated the possibility of just playing practice next year for, their, for the players who don't get selected in the AFL side as a way of uh, saving money but equally preparing your own players in the way that you want to prepare them rather than farming them out to uh, an aligned club, which is one of the possibilities under the new system that the AFL floated. Or spreading a whole lot of players out, not just to one club, but to, to to many clubs, which I think is even more problematic. Yeah. Um, or cr- staying with the stats quo and trying to field your own team, which but uh, I think everyone knows that the AFL has has decided that $3.5 million has got to come out of the cell, of the soft cap. Some of that money provides for the running of the VFL team that uh, we in the past, so that money it, it appears to be gone. So how it doesn't seem realistic to to field a standalone VFL team in the way that we have, and we just don't have the money anymore. I mean, uh, that, or the ability to spend the money. Um, so, what do you would you would players feel when they're not playing for a premiership, which you do in the VFL, and, and, and the, the, the possibility of finals and getting that taste of that sort of slightly. A more intense encounter. Do you think that um, the players A would ultimately benefit from a practice match series amongst, say, eight Victorian clubs? And
1: they, how would it, how would it works? What, what are your thoughts? If it's if it's purely the AFL-listed guys with potentially some some form of top ups, if you're really lean, they're they're playing to play AFL football. They're AFL footballs, so they'll be doing everything in their their power to prep up and put their hand up to play AFL football. I think. Like, oh, I'm a massive advocate for the VFL. Um, I love going to the VFL. I love what our program's produced over the last, last, or since 2008 when we brought it back in my first year at the club. So we really kind of linked to the VFL program. But without servicing it, it needs to be serviced. The practice game model might be the only chance. But I think the players, you come up against a team, with, with that hungry to play AFL football, and we've had a couple of these games. Our game against Geelong um, at, at the Giants' headquarters in Sydney played Hawthorne. was yeah. one of the was the single best second tier game I've ever seen. Yeah, that was just hungry footballers wanting to put their hand up to play AFL football, and that was a bit the same with this Brisbane game on the weekend. That was it was an AFL standard game, mm. and the guys weren't shirking any contest. They weren't going kind of less hard because there was no points on the line. They, they, their careers are on the line. they got to get picked yeah. for the selection to play AFL football. So that's worth more than them than, than anything else yeah. and their reputations and their want to be better, their want to improve. Their, their competitiveness comes through. Regardless of no points, we put the scoreboard up at 3 quarter time on the whiteboard. We're up by five points. So the competitive instinct kicking regardless. So yeah. I think it's um, – like in a perfect world, we'd be given the resources and I guess the scope or allowances to, to set up a second tier comp that we can service. I think the these to comp's got real merit, but you gotta have to pay for it to make it um, worthwhile. And I just don't think we've got the scope. So it's um, it's an interesting discussion. I think there's a bit of water to go under it, under bridge as I said, but mm. if we did decide on the practice game, I think it's fantastic for our players. Um, in well, world, we've got a rock solid competition underneath, but I guess only time will tell. Yeah, yeah, but I think there's some more discussions to be had on that.
0: Yeah, um, Antoine Toville may be the smartest man ever to play with football. <laughs> to digress for a moment, Anton Togil, MD. Well, he's he has put his medical studies on hold, but I've discovered in uh, in, the, in the close quarters that we're on our living. Living with, that he reads books on quantum physics for fun. He's he just he he has a mind that wants to understand how the world works,
1: mm.
0: and uh, so he he uh, that's that's light reading for him. And he's going to tutor some of the children in the in the compound. Some of we've got teenage children at technical school who are doing things like physics and chemistry. You know? Anton is going to uh, well. He's tutoring some of the children. He's, um, he figures that he's also uh, trying to hone his Spanish at the moment. He, he speaks three languages. Um, his, his family have a holiday home in Spain, and so he and he loves his golf. So they get over there and play golf, and he, he fancies even spending a bit more time than he currently does there. Perhaps whenever whenever his football journey ends. Mm-hmm. So he's honing his Spanish, he's reading books on quantum physics, uh, he's still preparing himself for um, his medical studies and trying to get a kick. And kicking snags. Yes. So um, who knows? We may be hearing the name, you know, uh, Anton Toghill,
1: uh, in, in any, any guy in, in 20 years' time. He could be. First, first person to invent time travel.
0: Yeah I, just watch, yeah, I
1: just watch Interstellar. That's about as close as I get to quantum physics. If you can explain a black hole to me, I'll be very impressed. Oh, I don't think that that well, I just going to ask you the question. And come <laughs> back, if you
0: can't answer it straight off, you'll come back to the answer. So, um, I did say I was
1: going to return to Tyson Goldsack, and uh, and I'll do that now, Wags, if that's okay with you. Oh, no, I know, I might. This is my handballing in my book review this week, Ross. Well, it's here, because this, what's so. happening, I, I feel like uh, it's probably a good thing because I didn't really have anyone prepped. So happy to, happy to handball feedback release to rails, or will drive these, change angles and, and launch. So away we go. <laughs> I'm going to do an Irving mosquito. I'm going <laughs> to pick the
0: ball up, take a bounce and go bang from just about 40 on the run. Um, yeah, th- this book um, was recommended to me by Tyson Goldsack. Um, yeah, it would have been around two, thirteen, or 14. Goldie loved his bikes. He was a real... Uh, loved the grand tours, followed them. I don't know how he got a kick on the weekend when he really stayed up all night watching the tour and the Giro d'Italia, but um, he did. And he was he, he was very interested in the whole phenomenon of Lance Lance Armstrong, that is. And uh, and I, I, I have a passing interest. And we struck up a conversation. He said, "You've got to read this book. And it's called The Secret Race. Uh, it is written by Tyler Hamilton, who was a cyclist, a professional." Um, racer and Daniel Coyle who covered the sport and wrote extensively on Lance Armstrong and published in 2012 um, just to, I suppose I should there may be some out there who aren't quite aware of what Lance did but he was a seven time Tour de France winner. he won every tour from 1999 to 2005 um, adding to the the greatness of his story, of that story, was that in 1996 he survived uh, testicular cancer. He subsequently created uh, a foundation known as Livestrong, which raised, uh, I think it's hundreds of millions of dollars for cancer. So he was an iconic figure, not only a great racer but um, someone who was giving back, seemingly giving back, and and um, but he lived in the shadow of accusations of suspicions that he was a doper. And, um, that proved to be true, sadly. Uh, and Tyler Hamilton, the, the Tyler Hamilton was, was Lance's Lieutenant, if you like, uh, for about three or four seasons. Um, Tyler was an outstanding cyclist himself. had had a long, long, um, professional career, but he rode with Lance. He was part of Lance's gang, part of the, and um, after being driven out of the sport himself, um, he felt compelled to come clean in every sense, and he did it through the secret race. And so, um, you know, code names, secret phones, cash payments, mysterious doctors, um Midnight Runs Over the Border for Blood Transfusions where the law couldn't get you, Uh, the deaths of of many writers around that time, um, a lot of them linked to doping. Um, Marco Pantani was one who died a premature death, Um, a a, a, a grand tour winner. Um, So, uh, and and prior to Tyler coming clean with Daniel Coyle in this book, as I understood it, there was a sort of a silence that existed around Lance and doping itself. No one spoke about it. It was hinted at. It was suggested. There were lots of rumours that, that were rife about, you know, and, and Lance had managed to pass hundreds and hundreds of doping tests. And anyone who dared bob their head up was immediately ostracised. So from the entire cycling community, so it was very powerful force if you were within that community to step out of it was a big thing it, it meant that you were losing lifelong friends you were stepping out of the sport that had nurtured you and gave, given you all that you had to that point um was tremendous pressure to stay uh in on the secret and um at, at the time uh, well no one was able to catch Lancer for a long time and, and, and many others. As Tyler Hamilton himself says in the book, he said, they've got their doctors, meaning the cyclone officials, the cyclone authorities. They've got their doctors, we've got ours, and ours are better. Ours are paid more. And um, so the other thing that it was telling in the book is he says that it wasn't one person, it was everybody. So everybody had a reason to shut up. So it, it's like, it, it It leads to, you know, Lance is in the end, Lance is stripped of, around 2012, um, his his iconic career came crashing down. Um, And Tyler and Daniel Coyle give you great context and great, great detail about how it worked from the inside. You don't have to be a cycling nut to understand it about the sorts of pressure that come on people when, you know something that someone doesn't want you to disclose. And there's lots of money involved. There's, as I said, there's, there's your lifelong friendships. There's marriages. There's enormous um, amounts of money, um, prestige, um, the, the shame. You come clean and admit that you did it. You cheated. Who wants to be, you know, so. Um, uh, yeah, in 2012 comes crashing down and this book just. Disc- Details a lot of what went on uh, prior to Lance coming down. Um, in two thousand and thirteen, Lance publicly admits to doping. So a year after this book was published, and um, so it, it's it's uh, probably a, a time capsule book in a way because um, I think all sports move on, life moves on. It's it's, it's it was spike, cycling was forevermore, well I, I suspect changed because of what came about once the roads were taken off Lance. He was stripped of all these all his titles. Um, and uh, he's a lot, he received a lifetime ban from all sports. Um, but um, it's also about, I think, what like the reason if you're a sports lover, about the ambition that he had and his determination to do whatever it took to win. And I think if you're a sports lover, you can sort of identify with that. You don't have to agree with it or Except that you should step over the line, but people who play sports are professional are competitors. Are often you know competitors beyond what we understand. You know beyond rationality in some ways. And and um, uh, Tyler Hamilton put it in one way. He said we all, we all wanted to win, but Lance needed to win. And for him, it, there was there was nothing else but but win. Um, so. I'll leave you with the secret race. It's about doping, doping culture. It's about power. Um, the outermost edges of human performance, that's what they're dealing with. They're, you, know, you win you win stages in the tour by you know, half a second, third of a second, you get a 1% edge. It might be enough to win you a tour and we're over and over, and, and you build it just to back up. 3,200-kilometer race, yeah, it's just incredible. They can do it in three weeks. But, um, loyalty. The, the, uh, the, that's all that gets addressed in there. Like, you know that people are torn. Should I do the right thing or should I stay quiet? They know in their they know in their hearts and their minds the moral moral right the right thing to do is to end it all, mm-hmm. but they can't. They're loyal or they're they're afraid. Um, so it, it's a it's a wonderful wonderful book. Um, it's for, like all good books, it's, it's not just about what. It seems to be about. Um, and uh, thank
1: you once again to the uh, wonderful Tyson Goldsack for recommending it to me. He's got it, getting the old, finding the old diamond in the rough Tyson Goldsack, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, how? i probably got to wind up. We're going a bit long here. This is probably a record time, but did that book have any contributing factors in bringing down the Lance Armstrong empire? The timing would suggest so. Uh, uh, well, it, it was, they were on... The process of chasing him down had begun.
0: And in 2012, USADA uh, had, had come after him and and banned him. They, they, they came out and claimed that he was the ringleader of an elaborate doping program. Lance denied it, but a year later admits it, when um, you know, there were all sorts of legal... He, he'd been accepting money. He, he, one of the teams that he raced on, US Postal, uh, had been accepting public money. To support their team. Now, they wanted to know that they were putting their money into a clean team. He told them that, that it was. When that subsequently emerges that they're not, they've got their hand out, give us back our money. Yeah. So Lance had to make a settlement give money back. He, 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 but I think what it was, it was one of the first, he was one of the first Tyler Hamilton with, with Daniel Coyle's um, support, one of the first to detail it. Give you a, 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 an inarguable case that it happened. There was no, oh well, I'm not quite sure about whether, you know, or, or maybe it was misquoted or misquoted. Re- no, no, no. He's, this guy's got the famous, I think it's Nicolai Ferrari, I think is how you pronounce it, the, the infamous doctor uh, about the blood transfusions and the, the midnight rendezvous, the blood being kept in fridges, in secret compartments in fridges, and Officials turning up, and you had one fridge that was, and then a second hidden fridge where all the blood was. Yeah, it, was it was, it's um he he laid it out, um and and laid out also why so many people stayed in house and shut up about it because the reprisals were, were fierce. You got driven out, um, you could be driven off the road. That, yeah, that would that would make sure that you, you know, try and end your career. Yeah. So, it, um, it, it was it, I don't I don't know the wags is the answer. The, That question as to whether it, 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 I'm pretty sure it didn't start the investigation. As I said, rumours and and there'd been lots of people investigating Armstrong for a long, long time, but he passed every test and um, he was just ahead of the game. He was ahead of the testers, you know, and and so, um, but eventually got uh, caught up with him. This is the book, as I understand it, that really explained to the world how it all happened. So, very
1: good, S. As always, I should uh, just really leave the book reviews to you. you just, no, 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 no. I'll promise the next one. I'm on. I've got one. I'm going to nail it. <laughs> this won't be as uh, articulate as you with oh. my book reviews, S. Yes, but I'll, uh, you I'll, 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 I'll bring something to the table this week. Right. Fair enough. I look forward to it,
0: Marcus. Once again, it's been a pleasure, listeners. Um, I hope you've enjoyed our, our. Um,
1: Collie Waffle. <laughs> We're going back to Collie Waffle. It, did that ever get in the light of the day, Collie Waffle is the name? Well, I think it should. have. I'm just disappointed it did it. Collie Waffle. It was my choice. Oh,
0: and bad. And uh, clearly I don't have enough power. Insights. I you. can't threaten people with their careers if if they don't agree with me, unfortunately. unfortunately. Of course you can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, listeners. Um, we'll be back to you uh, very soon with another episode of Insights